Hello, I'm Mary, and you're listening to First Pages Readings. In this podcast, I explore reading and celebrate books as cultural messengers. Each episode, I'll read from three books of either fiction, nonfiction, young adult, middle grade, or poetry. Hello, and welcome to First Pages Readings, Episode 1. And thanks for joining me. I'm excited to introduce the podcast, where I'll comment and read from three or more books every month. So let's get started. Today's first book is Fool's Crow by James Welch. This book, I believe, tells a story that's not widely known, and I find I reread it about once a year. Its story is an important one. The book is an education. It widens my scope of vision and tunes my ears to new ideas. Reading it is like learning about a long, cold winter, but also learning about the music of spring. Fool's Crow, first page. Any mispronunciations are respectfully my own. Now that the weather had changed, the moon of the falling leaves turned white in the blackening sky, and White Man's Dog was restless. He chewed the stick of dry meat and watched Coldmaker gather his forces. The black clouds moved in the north in circles, their dance a slow, deliberate fury. It was almost night, and he looked back down into the flats along the Two Medicine River. The lodges of the Lone Eaters were illuminated by cooking fires within. It was that time of evening when even the dogs rest and the horses graze undisturbed along the grassy banks. White Man's Dog raised his eyes to the west and followed the backbone of the world from south to north until he could pick out Chief Mountain. It stood a little apart from the other mountains, not as tall as some, but strong. Its square granite face a landmark to all who passed. But it was more than a landmark to the Bakunas, Kainas, and Sixicus, the three tribes of the Blackfeet. For it was on top of Chief Mountain that the blackhorn skull pillows of the great warriors still lay. On those skulls, Eagle Head and Iron Breast had dreamed their visions in the long ago, and the animal helpers had made them strong in spirit and fortunate in war. Not so lucky was White Man's dog. He had little to show for his eighteen winters. His father, Rides at the Door, had many horses and three wives. He himself had three horses and no wives. His animals were puny, not a blackhorn runner among them. He owned a musket and no powder, and his animal helper was weak. Many times he had prayed to the above ones for stronger medicine, but he knew that wasn't the way. Today's second book is Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. This book explores many facets of life, including immigration to the United States and complexities of our inner lives. It's an important story. It tears open unspoken agreements and reveals something clearer and closer to truth. Americana's first page. Any mispronunciations are respectfully unintentional. Princeton in the summer smelled of nothing, and although Ifemelu liked the tranquil greenness of the many trees, the clean streets and stately homes, the delicately overpriced shops, and the quiet abiding air of earned grace. It was this, the lack of a smell, that most appealed to her, 
perhaps because the other American cities she knew well had all smelled distinctly. Philadelphia had the musty scent of history. New Haven smelled of neglect. Baltimore smelled of brine and Brooklyn of sun-warmed garbage. But Princeton had no smell. She liked taking deep breaths here. She liked watching the locals who drove with pointed courtesy and parked their latest model cars outside the organic grocery store on Nassau Street, or outside the sushi restaurants, or outside the ice cream shop that had 50 different flavors, including red pepper, or outside the post office where effusive staff bounded out to greet them at the entrance. She liked the campus, grave with knowledge, the Gothic buildings with their vine lace walls, and the way everything transformed in the half-light of night into a ghostly scene. She liked most of all that in this place of affluent ease, she could pretend to be someone else, someone specially admitted into a hollowed American club, someone adorned with certainty. But she did not like that she had to go to Trenton to braid her hair. It was unreasonable to expect a braiding salon in Princeton. The few black locals she had seen were so light-skinned and lank-haired She could not imagine them wearing braids. The third book, The Stationery Shop, by Marjan Kamali, takes us on a journey that speaks to the force of memory and the quest of a life. To take this book in is like reading the intersection of a dusty road anywhere in the world or listening to Bob Dylan's album Desire. I love this book for its graceful storytelling, and for its exploration into the varieties of love. The Stationery Shop's First Page I made an appointment to see him. She said it as if she were seeing the dentist or a therapist or the pushy refrigerator salesman who had promised her and Walter a lifetime guarantee of cold milk and crisp vegetables and unspoiled cheese, if only they would buy this brand new model. Walter dried the dishes, his gaze on the kitchen towel and its print of a yellow chick holding an umbrella. He didn't argue. Walter Archer's penchant for logic, his ability to let reason trump all, was a testament to Roya's own good judgment. For hadn't she married a man who was reasonable and, my goodness, unbelievably understanding? Hadn't she, in the end, not married that boy, the one she had met so many decades ago in a small stationery shop in Tehran? but lassoed her life instead to this Massachusetts-born pillar of stability, this Walter, who ate a hard-boiled egg for breakfast almost every single day, who said as he dried the dishes, if you want to see him, then you should. You've been a bit of a wreck, I'm afraid. Thank you for spending time with me today. If you liked listening to the episode, please subscribe and you'll be notified when another episode goes live.